This morning, we're wrapping up our series on life together, and uh, as usual, this has been a very short introduction to a very broad topic, and we had our young adult, senior adult breakfast uh, week two. Matt Tistammer, pastor of our military ministry, was in the house last week, and we're wrapping it up this morning, and uh, we got a beautiful next few weeks ahead, you guys. Once we wrap this thing up today, uh, next week, we're going to be in a two-week mini-series called Whole, where we're going to be exploring and opening up some dialogue about mental health and wholeness. And we're going to have Dr. Mark Mayfield in the mix next week, uh, talking a little bit about mental health and breaking the stigma. And we're just coming off yesterday of the Mental Health Summit uh, that we do every year here in Colorado Springs, which was phenomenal. So Dr. Mark Mayfield is going to be in the mix next week, the 11th. And then the 18th, Dr. Mark Mayfield and Pastor Brad Baker, who's the papa bear of this young adult ministry, we like to call him, um, they're going to join us and I'm going to moderate an open dialogue about mental health. And we're going to have uh, a number where you can text in questions and we're going to kind of exchange some ideas together. And it's going to be a really good opportunity to give some attention and look at the biblical framework for a huge and incredibly hot topic that we are uh, walking through today. I don't know if you're aware of this, but El Paso County uh, last year was the number one county in the nation for teen suicides. Uh, Think about that for a second. Dozens and dozens and dozens of teen suicides in our neck of the woods and in our backyard. And so this is a big issue that we need to give attention to. And it's going to be a beautiful time to dialogue about it. So mark your calendars next week and the week after. It's going to be a good time. And then it's Thanksgiving, people. And the holidays are here. And we got Christmas. And our Christmas decor is already set up. Don't call me a heretic. Just say hallelujah. Um, And uh, it's going to be fun. So we got a good, a good month ahead and a good rest of the year here in Young Adults and at New Life North as a whole. So with all that being said, let's settle. You're like, dude, stop talking. I just want to pray and... And get going here. Okay, let's do it. Let's quiet ourselves and center ourselves. And whatever you're carrying this morning, be it anxiety, uh, fear about tomorrow, maybe your bank account's low, maybe a relationship has just gone down the tube, maybe there's brokenness in an area of your life, whatever that is, whatever you're walking in with, would you bring it to Father and Son and Holy Spirit? Would you bring it to our glorious God? Jesus says that it's the Father's great delight to give us the kingdom. So here we are, Lord. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. We pause and we quiet ourselves for a quick moment, however brief, to think on you and to reorient ourselves into relationship with you and into your kingdom. Let's be still, people of God. The psalmist says, I lay down and slept, and I awoke, for you sustained me. God, we remember that. Father, we remember that you are the God of sustenantial care. We remember that you are the God who gives us sleep, and you're the God who breathes breath in our lungs every waking morning and every waking moment to love you, 
to worship you, to be in awe and wonder of you. And we ask that you would awaken us to that this morning. Thank you for breath in our lungs. Thank you for the air that we breathe. Thank you for food. Thank you for money in the bank account. Thank you for provision and life and relationships. And uh, first and foremost and chiefly, restored and reconciled relationship with you. Thank you that we are in love with you. Thank you that we can be called sons and daughters. And thank you that as we gather together and we sit under your scriptures and we commune as this young adult body, thank you that there is a palpable presence of the Holy Spirit among us. And we pray that as we study your scriptures and as we unpack these ideas, would you be pleased among us and would you use these conversations and your word as you see fit. Let it be deposited on the good soil of our lives. And may you be brought all glory and honor and praise through it. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the young adult said, amen, amen. Titling this message this morning, A Peaceful People. A people at peace, should I say. A people at peace. We're going to start in Matthew 5. Uh, It's going to be our, our... key text for the morning, and then we're going to move to a couple other scriptures and look at some church tradition and, uh, and talk about being a people at peace. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins his legendary Sermon on the Mount. And if you really want to blow to your pride and uh, a nice little bolster in your own righteousness, read the Sermon on the Mount. You'll feel great about yourself. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. These, these commands and these decrees and this invitation up into kingdom life that is much too high for us and our own strength to live up to. Uh, this legendary three-chapter Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is dialoguing of what the substance of the kingdom looks like and what the true good life really entails. Uh, If we look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we are looking at the good life in the fullest extent of the word. This is the good life, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the virtues of the kingdom, the good life that God defines as good, are found in the words of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, right out of the gate, in this core teaching, in this central teaching to the Christian tradition, right out of the gate, within the first couple of verses, first couple dozen verses, I should say, uh, goes for the throat and immediately starts talking and addressing the topic of relationships and friendship and community as the people of God. He wastes no time. He goes for it. And in it, we see some really dicey and convicting and weighty commands from Jesus about the way that we are to engage in relationship with one another and as the body of Christ. And he makes it clear in these teachings that the Christian faith is not an individual enterprise. But in fact, life together, as we have unpacked in the previous weeks, life together in this communal aspect of the faith is in fact a central and interconnected aspect. We cannot have, according to scripture and according to the biblical framework of faith, we cannot have life with Christ without life with one another. And Jesus explicates this in Matthew, starting in verse uh, 21, specifically. Buckle up. This is a real feel-good passage because he says this. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. 
And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. He ups the ante. We're not talking about physical murder here. There is a condition of the heart that is just as important. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. This Uh, this jab, you fool, really was not just a jab at their intellectual status, but also a jab at their spiritual status, casting judgment upon a brother or a sister. And then Jesus really makes things concrete and practical here uh, in an unavoidable way. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then and only then come and offer your gift at the altar. Jesus is teaching us that the way that we love one another and the way that we engage in life together is important that it ought not be overlooked, that this is a central component to our faith, and that there is not a mutual exclusivity between relationship with God and relationship with one another. That, in fact, the first and the second greatest commandment are interconnected. Because when the rich man walked up to Jesus and he said, what's the greatest commandment here? Jesus said, first, what is it? Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with the entirety of our lives. Oh yeah, and by the way, don't stop there. The second one, I know you didn't ask, but there is a second one, is equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That these two commands, love for God and love for people, are interconnected. That there is not a mutual exclusivity here. There is not a divide here, but these two, in fact, are inseparable. And Jesus touches on this in Matthew. And then he begins and starts to translate this idea practically. And he offers us this illustration of going to the temple and offering a gift on the altar. And this gift that Jesus was talking about, and this altar that Jesus was talking about, was uh, the gift that devout Jews would offer at least once a year in Jerusalem. Uh, scholars have pointed out that the, the reason and, uh, that Jesus used the word altar, well, there was only one altar that he could have been talking about. And it was that of the temple in Jerusalem. And so it was this sacrifice that devout Jews offered uh, to to Father, to Yahweh, uh, as an expression of love and devotion to him. And if you were outside the walls of Jerusalem, it was a sacrifice that you would have had to walk up to 80 miles and over a week to get to. And it's within these terms that Jesus says, yeah, you've journeyed and you've traveled and you've made the trek to Jerusalem and now you're at the altar and you're giving this sacrifice. And then under those conditions, if you realize, oh, shoot, I talked smack to my brother and sister over here. They probably don't like me anymore. Under those conditions, go back, leave your gift there, be reconciled, and then offer your gift. This is radical stuff, is it not? This isn't just a cue. We're lifting our hands in worship. Oh, yeah, wait. So I, okay, I got to call my friend. You're making a journey out of Jerusalem up to 80 miles back to your homeland to be reconciled and then coming back. Jesus, stereotypical, prototypical Jesus, ups the ante and gives us a radical invitation up into the life of the kingdom. And he's saying that if you're offering your gift here, stop it. Just stop, stop, stop. Time out. <clears throat> Lay it down. There is a more weightier, important matter to give attention to. 
There is something that you have to do to restore relationship with the Father and to be in a place to where you can offer this sacrifice appropriately. There is a greater issue at hand. And I don't know about you, but I have never heard anybody tell me about a time in their life when they were worshiping and they had to stop because they remembered that something was ruptured between a brother or a sister. Have you? This is a bit of a, of a foreign concept to us. Yeah, bro, I was, I was worshiping New Life Friday night, you know, and they were playing So Will I, and the bridge was coming up. And I was about to do that timely raise of the hands, right? When the mountains bow in reverence. So we all do it. We know. It's a real thing. And I was about to raise my hands, and I was about to worship. And then I remembered, oh, wait. I had a falling out with one of my friends a couple months back. Uh, so I had to leave the service. And then I came back. We don't hear about this stuff. Yeah, I was, it was after the two-minute meet and greet over at New Life North, and I was just about to take my seat when I remembered, oh, wait a second. I made a Facebook post about one of Trump's policies that my friend very much disagreed with, and we exchanged words. And there was some name calling. And I actually have to step out and make a quick phone call to him in the church lobby to make sure that we're okay before I sit under the scriptures and partake of the bread and the cup. We don't hear about these things. These things are not natural in our walk of faith, nor do they come easy, but it's what scripture calls us up into. It's the command of Jesus. Stop. There is a greater matter at hand, and it is reconciliation with your brother and your sister. Are you guys with me? This is important. It's crucial to our life of faith. Deal quickly and decisively with the rupture in relationships. There's a greater matter at hand. Decades after this, Jesus speaking these words on the Sermon on the Mount, Paul comes along. And in his writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4, 29 to 32, he says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The way we talk to each other and about each other is important. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do not grieve the Spirit of God. We like to read these things and kind of part and parcel out passages sometimes. And, and this idea of grieving the Spirit of God did not come just off the cuff for Paul that was disassociated from anything he was talking about. Go back. Let's, let's pull this passage back up. He was talking about relationships. Top to bottom, he's saying the corrupt talk, building up of one another. And then after that, it's kind of sandwiched into these contexts of relationships. In other words, the way that we deal with one another, the way that we talk to one another, the way that we engage with one another, the attitudes that we harbor in our souls against another person can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul's saying, just be careful here that there is a connection between love for neighbor and love for God. And don't assume and give God lip service and think that you guys are on good terms if you and a brother and sister are on bad ones. Be careful that there is more on the line here than just your relationship with your brother or sister. And these ideas from Jesus and from Paul were central to the church's understanding of really how they uh, approached God in the first place. 
Because we see these in the early writings of the church, specifically in this one document called the Didache. That was a first century document. A lot of scholars believe it was written anywhere between AD 50 to AD 100. So during the life of the apostles, and as the New Testament letters were being circulated, the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the the epistles, the writings of Paul, the writings of John, the writings of James. As these letters were being circulated, so also this letter and this, uh, this document called the Didache was being circulated. And what the Didache was, is it was just a manual that prescribed worship and church function in the first century church. Uh, And when we look at it today, we can see a beautiful look under the hood at how the church worshiped and what the church's understanding was about the various sacraments, baptism, the table, uh, church gatherings on Sunday mornings. We can see the church's understanding and their tethering to the gospels and to the words of Jesus that really uh, dictated their church practice and worship. And we see one portion of the Didache give explicit focus to this issue of relationship with one another, that we need to tread lightly when we know that there is bitterness and resentment towards one another, and we need to deal with it decisively. Here's what the Didache says in one portion. It says, and on the Lord's own day, which is a Sunday, the day of gathering, right? The church perennial has gathered on Sundays and worshiped God. Um, Gather yourselves together and break bread And give thanks, first confessing your transgression, that your sacrifice may be pure. But check this out. And let no man, having a dispute with his fellow, join your assembly until they have been reconciled, that your sacrifice may not be defiled. For this sacrifice, uh, it is what was spoken of by the Lord. In every place at every time, offer me a pure sacrifice, for I am a great king, saith the Lord, and my name is wonderful among the nations. Stop right there and leave that up. Let no man join your assembly if he has a dispute with another. Take on the weight for a second of how important relational reconciliation was to the church of the first century. This wasn't just a cute idea where dispute with one another and a glaring gap of reconciliation with a brother or a sister could live and worship God at the same time. But they're saying, wait a minute, don't even step foot in the church doors lest our worship be defiled. You need to figure this out yourselves. You need to be reconciled and then come back. And again, we see that this is tethered to the very words of Jesus and the very words of Paul. That the church had this steadfast and this anchored conviction that relationship with one another does actually impact our relationship with God. I think the church was on to something here. And I think Jesus and Paul was on to something before that because they understand here that a breach in relationship with our, with our earthly brothers and sisters is a breach in relationship with our heavenly father that the two are bound up into each other. And it's something we don't like to talk about, and it's something we like to overlook, and we just like to press through. Uh, I'd kind of like to have this thing on the side and be okay with God at the same time. But if we are to read the words of Jesus and the teachings of Paul and the understanding of the first century church appropriately and responsibly, then we must come to the realization that if we have a breach with one another, the horizontal relationship in our lives, then there is a breach in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, disclaimer, the Bible is not super clear about how the vertical breach is manifested, right? We can kind of put the pieces together and assume that it looks some kind of ways, 
But by and in large, we're just left with the general understanding that in some way that we might not even be able to pinpoint, if we have a breach and a, and a void of love with our brother and sister, then there is a breach in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So let's take some time and discuss this topic at our tables. Uh, let's, let's talk around this. Let's nuance this with this kind of question. And let's get real here. How have you seen a breach in relationship with someone affect your relationship with God? Have you seen this in the past? Have you not? Dialogue about that. Interface around it, and then we'll pick this thing up in about five, ten minutes. Enjoy. Swing for the fences. Be vulnerable. Be real. Go. All right, people of God. Hope you had some good conversation around this. I'm sure conversation could continue, but the natural question when we look at this is, is how does this manifest in our lives? What do we do with this? How do we see this tension at work uh, in the lives that we live day to day? And I think uh, one of the greatest deterrents, relationally speaking, to our relationship with God, especially as it relates to this topic, is not so much that there's a breach in relationship, because that's, that's natural, okay? That's going to happen. We got our stuff And again, look no further than Facebook and Twitter and what people are posting and the dust that kicks up by one little comment about this, that, or the other. People are going to get into each other. People are going to create friction. People are going to get frustrated. And yet, I think the greatest deterrent is not that, but it's what we do with those breaches when they happen. And it's the often ambivalent attitude that we can sometimes hold uh, towards being reconciled with someone else. Because I think that not, you know, the majority of us, I wouldn't say, like to hold grudges. Okay, there may be some of you, and if so, we got help for you, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that later. But, like, I think the vast majority of us are pure-hearted enough to really, like, hate having a, a relational rupture. And yet, what it comes down to is just a bit of ambivalence. Like, oh, it's just uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good for me to text that person and say, hey, man, we need to do coffee and we got to talk through some stuff. It doesn't feel good to put the proverbial gloves on and have a clean fight and a clean argument about what has transpired. It's vulnerable, right? Honesty is not fun. Uh, It's just not a real good confrontational process. And especially, much to the chagrin of all you Enneagram nines, peacemakers, right? Sarah Bram proudly holds her hand up. Like, it just doesn't feel good, and yet we need to be on guard against ambivalence and resistance towards being reconciled with one another. I would go so far as to say that ambivalence and resistance towards relational reconciliation is insidious disobedience that corrodes us from the inside out. And that's strong, but I think that's what we're dealing with here. I think either just, eh, well, it just doesn't feel good. I just, I can kind of live without that person anyway, right? The relationship's down the tubes and oh, whatever. I mean, it's kind of their loss. Or outright resistance. I will not be reconciled to that person. Both, I think, are sin and both corrode our souls and cause a dysfunction of soul, and cause some deep, deep destruction in our lives and in our inner lives and in our, even our relationship with God as we've seen. And so we need to be on guard against ambivalence and resistance. And I think we all can attest to the reality. Those of us who have walked through a breach in relationship, be it with a mother, a father, uh, a friend, even a sibling, we all can attest to the reality that uh, ambivalence or resistance uh, really is our first response and natural instinct. Because how does it start? 
It starts with just a cooling of soul. And it starts with a hardness towards that person. Ah, can't believe they did that. Frustration, right? And frustration's all fine and good, but then it can turn to a bitterness or resentment. Oh, I, I wish I would never see that person again. Man, you see them, oh, God, I'm gonna go the other way, right? You take the long way. If it happens in the office or at school or wherever, you take the long way just to avoid that person. I can't believe they did that. Man, and it starts to boil, and there starts to be this cold anger that you perpetually live with. And then if we're not careful, some of us can even go so far as to make inner vows towards that person. I will never, dot, dot, dot. Or inner vows that shape the rest of our lives. I will never trust anyone like that again. Or, God forbid, we say, I hate that person. I wish I never saw them again. I could live life without talking to them for the rest of my life. Hatred. Ah, these are the things that Jesus warns about. If you have that, if you have a ruptured relationship, if there's a glaring divide in reconciliation with another, lay your sacrifice down. I don't care if you have to walk 80 miles back home to be reconciled and come back. I don't care how radical it is. Lay it down. There's a more important matter at hand. Be reconciled to one another. Relational health, Jesus is adamant about. These are the attitudes that Jesus is prescribing. And we see even the very radical teaching of John, uh, you know, complement this so beautifully in John, 1 John 4, 20 to 21, when he says this, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Airtight logic, right? And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You cannot say, I hate my brother or sister and love God. John is saying, you just can't. There is a mutual exclusivity between hatred towards brother and sister and love for the Lord. And there is a conflict of interest here because the two greatest commandments are intertwined once again. And so Jesus, along these lines, these are the reasons he's saying, stop, 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 stop. Don't offer your gift. Be reconciled. There's a more important matter at hand. This thing will corrode your soul from the inside out and harden your heart, not towards that person, but towards me. If you're hardening your heart towards the Imago Dei, the image bearer of God who's right in front of you, who you see, then there will be a hardening of heart towards the God that you cannot see. Warning, warning, warning. Stop. Be careful. Do not offer the sacrifice. And disclaimer here, uh, let's address the elephant in the room. Some relationships cannot be reconciled. Uh, And that's not because we don't put in the hard work and we don't try, but some relationships, the other person will not have it. And some of us maybe have even walked through that with a brother or sister or friend or family member where we try and we try and we do everything we can to be reconciled. And that person is a brick wall. They're not having it. Nope. Never talking to you again. And this is why Paul says in Romans, as long as it depends on who? Us, the redeemed. The people of God. As long as it depends on us, live at peace with one another. And so if there's a breach in relationship that some of us have in our lives that we can't get around because of the hardness of heart of the other person and we've tried everything we can, then that is not on us anymore, people of God. Let me just like, by the Holy Spirit, let's just liberate that and and call a spade a spade and say that if we've done everything we can, we have to just release that and trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of those people. And yet, as often as it depends on us, 
as much as we are able in radical obedience to the commands of Jesus and Paul. Be reconciled to one another. Don't let there be this breach in communion between you and another person that uh, inhibits your relationship with the Father. And I wonder, you know, how many times we feel stuck in our relationship with God. Uh, Our times are dry. Man, I'm trying to open the scriptures and they're just not singing like they used to. I'm trying to worship, uh, you know, on a Sunday morning or Friday night. And there's just a gap. Like I can't break through. It feels like I'm hitting a wall. I'm trying to pray and God feels like a million miles away. These stalls that we have in our relationship with God, these, these breaches that we run into, it might be something else, but is there and could there be offense in our own souls that are hindering us from really having soft and sweet and tender communion with God? Is there a bitterness or resentment in our own souls that's stopping us up and blocking us from pure communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Is there, uh, are we eating the fruits of the warnings that Jesus prescribed in Matthew 5? Are we running up into this warning and blasting through it? And are we experiencing that which Jesus and Paul and the ancients of old have warned us about? Be reconciled. And maybe something else, but I wonder how many times in our lives of faith there's a block. I just, I can't, I can't put my finger on it and I can't figure out why. And I just feel like I'm in the desert. Could it be a ruptured relationship? Could it be that the horizontal is blocked up and therefore the vertical is blocked up? And preparing for this week, you know, I had such a sense that some of us in the room this morning, some of us who come here on a weekly basis are carrying this in this morning. And there is a block. And some of you may have even chalked it up to A, B, C, and D. And you've thought of everything else under the sun except for this. And it may in fact be that the block in relationship is that which is hindering you from really communing with the Lord like you were hardwired and designed to. Um, I think that uh, you may have tried to flood it out with podcasts and with worship and with Bethel or with more church and more scripture, and yet there still remains that wall. Rupture, rupture, breach in relationship, lack of reconciliation. And I think that some of us are in this boat this morning. And so I want to end this morning a little bit differently because of this, knowing how important this was to Jesus and to Paul and to the ancients of old, to our brothers and sisters of the faith of the first century church. Um, I want to give us some time to stop and to stop reading and stop intaking and stop ingesting and just to be present before the Lord and pray the prayer of the psalmist, search us and know us, search me, see if there's any impure way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So we're going to turn some music on in just a second. We're going to have about five minutes, five to ten, where we're going to open this place up and just present ourselves to the Lord and say, Abba, is there anything here? Is there a gap between you and I because there's a gap between my brother and my sister? And you know, if, if not, it's always a good practice anyway for us to come humbly before the Lord and repent. You could repent of something else that you've done this weekend or this past week or something that you've been carrying, a habitual sin. Bring it before the Lord right now. The Father, who again delights, Luke 12 says, in giving us the kingdom. So we're going to put Psalm 139 up. This is the prayer of David, very aware of the Lord's presence with him. I want you to read that for a quick second. And then we're going to turn on some music really soft. And I want us to lead off with this prayer. Take this on our lips audibly, and then we're going to go into a time where we just sit, and you can write if that's, you know, 
up your alley. You can just sit. You can lean over. You can get on your knee. Whatever you need to do. But let's turn this into some sacred space and holy ground right now upon which we tread. And let's pray these words together in faith as we go into this time of reflection and repentance. Search me, O God. Come on, pray it out together, young adults. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you do it, Lord? Here we are. Take a few minutes, young adults. Be real. Be open. Be vulnerable before the Lord. This isn't a cute thing that we're just doing, but this is central to our life of faith. If there's a breach and a lack of reconciliation, fix it. Come before the Lord. Repent and then resolve to make amends. So let's turn on some light worship music here and just sit and ask the Lord to search us. Think about those relationships and those things. Bring them before the Lord. If things are starting to be highlighted, just write those down. Bring those to the Lord. Repent. Forgive me for my independence. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my hard-heartedness. Forgive me for being the one who's unwilling to reciprocate reconciliation. Whatever that is, just be real. This is you and the Lord. This is us and the Lord. So just know us, God. You're all we want, Lord. Let's die to ourselves. Let's take up the cross of comfort, the cross of our own pride, the cross of our own expectations of what relationships should look like. Let's follow you. ruptured relationship this morning, Lord. Come under the reign of King Jesus. Let every breach, let every divide, let all resentment and bitterness and malice and hatred, God forbid, come under the reign of King Jesus and the kingdom. That's the kingdom of love and joy and peace and life and holiness and purity. Make it so. You know, let's stand together. And we're going to pray one more prayer of repentance. All of us can repent of something, whether it's this reconciliation piece relationally or whether it's something else. Uh, we're going to put a prayer up on the screen that the church has been praying for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, this prayer of repentance. And I want us to take, a, take it on our lips together and pray this as a young adult family, regardless of what we're carrying in, regardless of what sins we're coming in with. Let's pray before our God these words. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. 
that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. Make it so, we ask. Lord, would you be the repairer of the breach this week? Would you be the one who mends relationships? Would you be the Holy Spirit that goes to work on our hearts and the lives of those who we need to have conversations with this week? Lord, would you give us clean hands and a pure heart and renew a right spirit within us? Would you cast us not from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us, as the psalmist says, but restore to us the joy of your salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. Amen.